Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast, your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen, and Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield. And guys, before we get into Memphis-related news tonight, because we definitely do have some football seasons right around the corner, um, want to get into, it's Wednesday night when we're recording, so if if you're uh, if you're listening, this was recorded on Wednesday night, and if you paid any attention on Wednesday and I, I think you were pretty much forced to. Uh, there was a lot of controversy in the sports world. I don't think it should personally be controversy, but it you know everything's controversy nowadays. In uh, NBA, WNBA, all canceled games for the day uh, on the heels of the shooting of Jacob Blake earlier this week. So I think it was an incredible move. The Milwaukee Bucks kind of started the movement uh, with it being in Wisconsin. I think they took it a little bit. Uh, more personally, it hit a little closer to home for them, uh, and they kind of set it up for the rest of the NBA. You saw players coming out all week. Donovan Mitchell said stuff earlier this week. LeBron James came out earlier this week. Uh, players from the NFL came out earlier this week. R- really, sports figures all around the world came out and kind of gave their opinions. And then this this coming on Wednesday night, all the cancellations and stuff, I think it's very cool. It's unprecedented. It's, uh, this has never happened before. Players haven't forced games to be postponed and canceled, so it's it's – Unlike anything we've ever seen before in the sports world, uh, which is something I feel like we've said a lot in the past five months, uh, but but in my opinion, we've said that a lot with a negative connotation, and this definitely has a positive connotation. So uh, it's it's cool to live in these times, crazy, like I said, crazy, unprecedented. But it's cool to see what happens when people come together. Uh, what did you guys think when uh, when all these uh, teams started popping up and and canceling and postponing games on Wednesday? Well, I'll go first because I know that Kenny's answer is probably going to be a lot more profound than mine uh, because he he loves the NBA more than I do. It's near and dear to his heart. Um, you know, I, first of all, this is not my place to pontificate about an issue like this. You know, I'm, I'm beyond privileged. Uh, I do see that there's a massive need for, for momentum and movement within this. So – like like I we said the last time we addressed this entire issue, it's my job to listen, to to ask how I can help, um, and to continue doing my part to address it in my own life, the people around me. When you see something, say something. Um. So I, I think that it's amazing to see a group of players um, have the courage to do this. I mean, this is it's brave. I mean, this is money on the line. This is this is the NBA f- championship. This is the, I mean, this is not. This is the Eastern Conference and Western Conference 
finals beginning, the the process of getting to an NBA champion and like this this isn't like the regular season and people are starving for sports. So uh I, I love it. I do think that it's my job to more sit back. I, I'm not I don't pretend to be the voice of God for everybody else on issues like this. Um but one thing I did that hit me just the moment whenever I saw the news today, I was like, man, this is history in the making. Like these guys, it's like for so long, you know, in Le- LeBron's, you know, that whole shut up and dribble. And you are now seeing that these players are realizing that absolutely we are 100% more than just athletes. We are, we can take the power that we hold in our hands and use it for good. And man, that's the ultimate realization for anybody is that when you have something, some sort of power or privilege or position that allows you to make change, you have to do it. Um, and I can only imagine how, what kind of a feeling Woj had in that moment of being able to break that news about Milwaukee boycotting that game. Cause you know, like, it's like, I'm breaking news about history here. Like this is, this is unprecedented. It's never been seen. I mean, you know, hopefully we never see it again. Um, but like Chris Weber said today, it's probably not going to change now. Probably won't change for a year from now, but it's all about what Martin, Martin Luther King and people before him and after him are doing to set up the next generation and the next. Yeah. I was listening. Um, I saw a YouTube post today um, where uh, CNN guy, I think Jake Tapper was the one that was interviewing. He was talking about it. It was kind of as if everything was breaking and it was coming out. And he interviewed Bob Costas, which is really cool because, you know, I'm a historian. I love history. I love, you know, kind of understanding where we came from and how where we came from kind of dictates where, where we are now and where we're going. And uh, Jake Tapper asked Bob Costas, he said, you know, have you, have we ever seen anything like this in sports before? And he mentioned a few things and he said, I remember specifically, I think it was the Mexico city Olympics where those two gentlemen, um, raised their fists in solidarity. And, and he said, but that was after they competed. He said, the only thing that compares to this is Muhammad Ali giving up three and a half, four years of his career in boxing um, to protest, I think it was the Vietnam war. If I'm correct, I think I'm correct on that, but protesting the Vietnam war. And the thing that's the similarity between those two, um, those two situations, those two protests are when, when anybody talks about who's the greatest of all time in basketball, one of the things, one of the the metrics that everybody uses to discuss that is NBA championships. How many NBA championships have you won? You know, unless you've won, you know, a certain number, you can't even really penetrate that discussion of who's the greatest of all time. And, and so that's what these guys that are in the game right now, they are fighting for their legacy um, that's what this playoff bubble was about was fighting for, you know, the right to call themselves the champions of the NBA. And they gave up a lot to come to the bubble. 
Um, I, I know that there was a lot of people, a lot of players that came out and they were trying to figure out if they were going to be a part of the bubble situation in Orlando. And they were concerned about participating in that because they didn't want to distract or take away from the the conversation that was going on in the country about um, police brutality and, and um, just, I guess, race relations in the country as a whole. But they came anyway. And they went through this whole process. They've been down there now for a month or two. And on Sunday, Jacob Blake was shot seven times in his back by a police officer in Wisconsin. And I I can't imagine being in their position where they are, especially the Milwaukee Bucks, Kenosha being 40 miles away from Milwaukee where the Bucks are located. Um, I can't imagine what they were feeling in that moment of did our participation in this bubble, in this playoff situation, distract? Like the conversation has gone. They, I, I, I bet they felt like, and, and people are still dying. People are still being shot. People, there's still police brutality out there and going on. And I just can't imagine being in their position, <clears throat> having to have those conversations and, and, and to know that they're having to make the decision of, are we going to stand up and fight? Are we going to stand up and, and, and strike? Are we going to stand up and boycott? Are we going to stand up and, and, and make a statement about what, what we see as brutality against our people, brutality against people that look like us, that grew up in the same place that we did brutality that could be potentially uh, brought home to their family or to themselves. And they're having to make this choice of, are we going to stand up and strike? Or are we going to, um, because if they make that decision to stand up and strike, they are removing themselves from the possibility of being able to win a championship because that's the narrative. That's the conversation that's happening right now in Orlando with all the teams is, are we going to continue playing? And I know that I've seen a lot of reports out there about this, that saying that there's a strong push that, the NBA players are going to are are literally walking away from this season because in solidarity um, to fight against police brutality. And that would be, I mean, the decision to do that is such a, a hard um, and brave decision um, to have to make that choice. And so I was just stunned today by their bravery and doing what they did. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was just a, it was a, it was a historic day today and, uh, you know, selfishly, I miss basketball selfishly. I wanted to watch games tonight, but man, I stand with my, um, black brothers and sisters who were saying, man, enough is enough. We are not here to be, uh, we are not just your entertainment. We are humans. We are people and we are, um, we are more valuable than, than just entertaining you and 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 we're gonna stand up and make a make make that known. It was a it was a crazy historic day. Absolutely. Well guys, we usually don't take a break this early in the episode, but with the weight of this topic and, and kind of moving on into Memphis sports after the break. So uh we'll take a break, hear from our sponsors and we'll be back on the other side with Memphis Sports. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back, Christian. Uh, on the topic of outrage, the the first segment, extremely warranted outrage. Now let's get into some maybe not so warranted outrage. Um, anybody who has been following along since the University of Memphis came out said, hey, we're, we're full steam ahead. We're playing this season. But... Here are the caveats for fans in attendance. The the one thing that has been a thorn in the side for a large contingent of Memphis fans on social media is 12 feet. Christian, thoughts on the 12 feet? This is where it gets a little bit dicey because uh, I'm not the biggest person in stepping on toes. I'm so laid back that I really just don't care. But this one has aggravated me a little bit more than most because... It's the same people that were saying three or four months ago, I would do anything to have college football in the fall. So now college football is a go. We're less than two weeks away from the season. And some of those same same people are very outraged that they have to sit 12 feet apart at, at a game. And and I think in large part it's because there's other schools um, and other places that are doing six feet apart or whatever and so they're like, well, why do we have to be 12 feet apart? And it could boil down to politics more than anything. I don't know. Uh, you guys know and, and people that are close to me know I, do, I don't do politics. It's not something that I'm into. I don't have a side. I don't, uh, it's, it's just not something that I, that I build my life on and pay attention to all the time. So for me, it has nothing to do with politics at all. Um, it's just a simple fact that, and I said it a couple weeks ago, I don't care if we were even allowed to go to the games. I, I didn't care if I had to watch it from home every week to cover it. And, I, and I'm and i a person that's there at every game. Cover It's my job to be there. So I, I wouldn't have cared if, if we weren't allowed at games. And it's going to be limited for media. That's, that's kind of already a, a known thing. But I wouldn't care one, one way or the other. So why does it matter that people have to be 12 feet apart? Uh, I've heard some people say because... It makes us look bad that we don't have many fans in the stadium. No one's going to have many fans in the stadium. It's It doesn't look bad on the program. If, if you pay attention to Memphis football, you know that the program's at an all-time high, and that's just undisputable. There's Fans would be at games if they could, but with the times that we're living in and what's going on, this is what the university feels that they need to have in place to have a season. Whatever they need to do to have a season, I'm all for it. I don't care. Whatever they feel like the best protocols are, it doesn't really matter to me. And for people to say, I wish there could be more than four or 5,000 people there, who cares? Who cares? You get to watch it. A lot of the games for Memphis are going to be in primetime. You'll be able to watch them on national television. They're going to have a good football program once again. There's going to be more eyes on this program than ever because you know you have the Big Ten and the Pac-12 gone. So Memphis will likely be a top 15 to top 20 team for the majority of the year 
uh, if they live up to their potential, I mean, automatically you think they'll be a top 20 team uh, once the once the top 25s come out that don't have Big Ten and Pac-12 teams. So there's going to be an unprecedented number of eyes on this program, and it doesn't really matter how many how many people are in the stadium. It really doesn't. And I, and people may fire back at me and say the only reason I'm saying that's because I'll be there. I've been on record saying I don't care if I'm there or not. If they were to, if uh, the athletic department was to call me tomorrow and say no media, y'all can't come. Okay, whatever, that's fine. They're playing football, so it's just it's something that's bugged me over the past couple of days because as I'm getting geared up for football season and excited for football season and ramping up football coverage. You have people coming back negatively and saying, well, who, who really cares? We can't even go to the games, and when we do, there's only going to be four or 5,000 people there. So that's just something that's aggravated me a little bit over the past couple of days. Well, here's the alternative, Christian. No football. You don't play exactly. or you don't go at all, period. And I don't think people realize what's on the line here. You're talking about you know, when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 came out, you're talking about, you know, conferences saying that across the board within the conference, we're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue loss for these schools. Memphis is a program that cannot afford that. They need that revenue. They need that TV primetime ESPN money. They need what little fan contribution and revenue they're going to get from gate from concessions from people continuing to donate their ticket sales or defer them for future uh, funds they need that they absolutely absolutely have to have that so if you're a fan of the program the way that you say you are you know what it's time to just suck it up you know, we're in the middle of an unprecedented time where we don't we don't have a playbook for this. There's nothing that tells us exactly how to go by it. The University of Memphis is at the mercy of Shelby Department, you know, Shelby County Department of Health and the Shelby County uh, you know, mayor, every everything within the county, they're subject to that. They have no choice and Shelby County, they're going to do what they think they need to do. And, I mean, I guess here's the thing. You said something about, like, I've, I've been on record. If I'm not there, so be it. I'll cover it wherever I have to. I just want to see football. I mean, this whole thing, this outrage, leads us to another topic. And, Kenny, if you want to go back and comment on this, I'll let you. But uh, it's a it's a topic that I kind of hinted at on Twitter on Saturday, but the whole Carville High School banning media last Friday night was uh, was hilarious to watch the outrage within the media. And the reason why I bring that up is that, you know, fans are outraged about 12 feet, about things that are being put in place to try to keep fans safe, to keep spectator safe to keep players safe to keep people that are in attendance safe and then on the other side of the spectrum Carrierville is implementing measures to make things safe to make sure that protocols are in place and even their process to do that showed that it was insufficient they had two players test positive for COVID and they're canceling their next two games as a result but 
you know, it seems like people just, they can't be happy with just the bare minimum when, when the reality is like the bare minimum is better than nothing. And, you know, I see a ton of media being upset about this Carville high school thing. And the reality is none of those media members would have ever given two shits about Carville high school football ever. The only reason why they, that they wanted to go is to either a stir up or because they were told that they couldn't, it's like the shiny toy that your parents tell you not to touch when you're a kid. They're acting like little kids, like, oh, but I want to touch the toy. I, I want to go. Like, nobody owes you anything, fan. You know, I guess in reality, yes, the school, you're contributing money. So, but they're bending over backwards to try to meet the needs of fans. And then with Carville, it's absolutely mind blowing that the media has this thing where they they are owed, they have a birthright to to you know they have a pass to everything on the face of the planet. If if it's out there, it's mine. It's available to me, and I should have access to it. They do it with us. They do it with Carville High School. They do it with everything. You know, there's a, a such a, a sense of entitlement within the media. If Carryville High School, for example, decides we want to put on a play in the auditorium with kids from the school, maybe let's just say like Hamilton because it's so popular right now. We want to put on the play Hamilton and our kids are going to perform it. But our auditorium is small. We want to limit the amount of people because of COVID and all this stuff. And so what we're going to do is we're going to limit it only to a select number of students that are part of maybe the drama club or need production access, that kind of stuff, some faculty, and then the parents of people who are in it. And guess what media? You're not allowed to come because you know what? On our property, we are allowed to tell you who can enter, who can come onto our property and who can't. It's no different. You don't, you don't send a, you know, temporary restraining order request through a judge for Carville High School to let you into a play to cover the play so that you can make sure that their protocols are safe. You, you haven't requested anything like that to make sure that their return to school meets those qualifications for safety. Why? This is no different. You're not, you're not some, you know, judge, jury, and executioner. You don't get to play that role. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox. So media, chill out, fans, <laughs> chill out. Yeah, I mean we we us three have talked about this a few times over the past few days, and it's just something that I really uh, I I can't comprehend it. And we were talking about this right before we started, and I was just like, I don't understand where the outrage comes from there. And and to me, from my point of view, kind of like you said, Brooks, you said there's not a playbook for this stuff. And there's not. And I don't think Collierville was like, oh, we can't have media because they're going to say we were doing something wrong. It's just we don't have a playbook. We want to limit as many people as possible. And I could be wrong. I don't know what their intentions were at all. But it just doesn't It just doesn't make sense how you raise this much of a panic about a high school football game that, like you said, you weren't going to go to. There are very few people in this city that go to high school football games in the media, and it's high school it's people that cover high school football and high school and prep sports. 
And so the people that are they set up a stream for them. Exactly. So you were still able to watch it, and like I said, it's it's just so so weird, and it makes no sense to raise this much of a ruckus over really nothing. And we've watched streams all summer of basketball, and we haven't complained about it once. Typically, this is the time we would be on the road uh, doing as much coverage as we could uh, during the AAU circuit, but it just ha- it's not the case right now. It's not the priority right now is we have to be at everything because we can't. It's it's just not the time we're living in. You have to adapt. If you got to cover a game over a stream, cover a game over a stream. If you're able to go and cover a game or cover a tournament like you guys were over the weekend, go do that. It's it's just what you're allowed to do at this time because we're living in a time where there's no playbook. There's no uh, set rules where, you know, when they wrote the Constitution, they said, okay, when a global pandemic happens, this is what we must do with the media. It's not, it's not what, it's just not how it works. I saw people saying stuff about constitutional rights and media rights. It, it doesn't apply to this time. This time is a different time than it was five years ago, last year, a hundred years ago. It's completely different. It's a slippery slope, Christian. Yeah, I know. I don't even want. I don't want to get off on it too much. I'll let Kenny go real quick. He hadn't talked in a minute. Yeah, I think the I think the part that has frustrated me about that situation is specifically what happened today. Um, you know, Carville announced today that that two of their high, uh, the varsity players, their football players, tested positive for COVID. So, like Brooke said earlier, they're gonna they put out a statement today saying they're gonna cancel the next two two weeks worth of games. Um, which I think is everybody's fear, right? That that the more exposure, the more people that are there, there's going to be, you know, cases and 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 more things pop up. And I saw I saw a lot of the reporting about it today on Twitter, and it felt like to me that there were media members from that that were a part of the entities that were so outraged by uh Carrieville banning the media from last week's game gloating over the fact that these two young kids tested positive for covid and trying to like they were gloating over the fact that that it was almost because they banned the media this is karma if you will and you, they got what was coming to them and and that is just massively infuriating to me because we're talking about the health and the well-being of young kids, you know, and and protecting, you know, protecting people that are um, that are at risk, and and I guess it, it it's hilarious because you know it's like you said, Christian, a few minutes ago, you know, the outrage stems from this this, and I know this is what Brooke said, but this entitlement idea that because we're media we're owed this and we're owed the opportunity to come and it's unfair that we're being banned well i wonder you you mentioned a few minutes ago christian about you know the motives behind banning and i don't i don't know what the motives are um i do i have talked to a few people that are that were a part of that that um not the decision making to ban media but were involved in those meetings and and what I would say is this, um, there is a level of of media sometimes doesn't act, especially media in Memphis doesn't act in good faith 
in terms of how they report preach situation. They don't act in good faith in terms of how they report. And, and I think that here's the thing about school districts like Carrieville and they don't care if people from the commercial appeal or the daily Memphian or news channel three get upset with them. Cause that's not who they're responsible to. They're not responsible to those, to, to those news entities. They're responsible for the health and well being of the people that pay, um, that live in Carrieville, that pay the taxes to, that have provided them the opportunity to go to the school. And, um, that's who they're concerned about. And I, I tend to believe that, more than likely last year, there were very, very few times that anybody from any of the local media in Memphis ever went to a Carnival High School football game to just cover the game. And yet all of a sudden, they're being asked to come and cover this game. Um, and I think we know what the purpose of why they wanted to cover that game was. Because... We've seen, even in our own experiences, and we've seen in the way that other things have been reported, and how some of these news media entities get their information in bad faith ways, that they weren't in it for the well-being of the kids at Carrieville. They were in it to do a hit piece story. And Carrieville doesn't care. They will not be a part of that. You're not going to use us as a as a... Uh, as a almost like not a test dummy, but you're not going to use this as a as a as a way to write some hit piece about how everything is being done wrong. They're going to get it right. There's a lot of listen. I've I have two kids in the Carville Elementary School system, in the Carville school systems, and I know for a fact that these people are trying everything that you can think of. They are trying. They're doing everything that you can do in order to make it safe for these kids to be not only in school uh, on a day-by-day basis, but also participate in, in extracurricular activities. Um, and again, there's not a playbook for this. And so there is going to be um, times where mi- not mistakes are made, but things are going to happen like two kids getting testing positive for COVID that they're going to have to figure out how to make it work. And nobody needs a hit piece re- written about them, and and I just think that that's a bad faith move. It's not. It's not. It's looking at a story of Carville and saying, or a Carville High School or any other high school in the city that they, that was being covered that night, and saying, you know, we're instead of like we're just trying to figure out how to do this the right way. It's we're gonna just destroy you and demean you and try to figure out like how we can, you know make you look as bad as possible. And, and they just had no interest in being a part of that. And it's just, it's hilarious to me that there was such an outrage after they decided they didn't want to be a part of a hit piece. The media in Memphis specifically has this, like has a chip on its shoulder that they are the ultimate truth teller that they shine the light on the dark places in the Memphis community and they show people where people are, you know, morally bankrupt, where organizations are committing white collar crimes, where the police 
are you know corrupt, where politicians are taking bribes. They they are the they're like basically supermen with pins. They expose the deep dark secrets of the athletic department of the University of Memphis with their FOIA request, and none of it, none of it is about storytelling. None of it is about doing right by the people that they're covering and doing right by the people that they're covering those things for. It's just about trying to get as much sensationalism out of it to make sure that that it's almost like we hold the power of the narrative in the city of Memphis. We shape who you think is good and who you think is bad. And Carrierville was going to be their next victim. And they found a way to do it regardless because the reality is whether the media was there or they weren't, those two kids were going to come down with COVID. Period. Like, you don't, you're not God, Jeff Calkins. You didn't somehow, through osmosis in the air, in the city of Memphis, send out a pulse of COVID to the city of Carrierville with your anger over being rejected credentials and, and somehow give those two kids COVID in your absence. It didn't happen that way. It was a part of being in close contact. It's going to happen. I get in a car every day and assume that risk because I, I know I have to go somewhere. It's an assumed risk. These kids were willing to, to take it. The parents were willing to let it let them do it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen with Memphis. You're going to see athletic departments shut down for two-week intervals all over the country. Like I would not be shocked if there were more this week from what I've been told. So I guess my, my thing to, to these folks is you're, you're not God. You don't get to play that with me. You don't get to play that with the residents of the city of Memphis, uh, the Shelby County, the Carville residents. You don't get to do that. You're, you're not the end all be all. How about next time? Let's try to, uh, cover a story by building relationships, by, by actually putting people first. That's my thought. Or they can just check your Twitter followers and DM the wrong coach. But anyway, guys, we're going to get off our soapbox now. We're going to take another break, and we're going to come back on the other side. We're actually going to get into some Memphis sports now. We'll talk about Kenny and Brooks' weekend in Atlanta, checking out Josh Minot, and then we'll do a quick little preview of Memphis-Arkansas State before we get out of here. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back, everyone. And as I mentioned before the break, Kenny and Brooks were in Atlanta this weekend to check out Memphis's lone 2021 commit in Josh Minot. First time we've actually been able to put eyes on him in person. Uh, unfortunately, I was out of town and didn't get to make the trip. But, guys, what did you see from Josh, and, and what was it like finally getting to, to see him in person? Kenny, I'm going to let you go first. You, you've you been quiet. Uh, you were behind the camera. You got to watch him through a lens. So I'm going to let you give your perspective uh, because I got to see him really focused and also got to talk to his uncle, his 
cousin, his mom, his coaches throughout the entire time. So I have a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, it was awesome getting to see him in person. You know, it, it, it's interesting when you, um, I mean, cause he's been, a, he's a relatively, I mean, he's a new, you know, big time recruit that the Tigers have, have, um, committed to the 2021 season. Um, Josh is a very talented kid. Um, he, um, clearly is a one guard, a point guard slash shooting guard in a six foot nine frame. Um, he is very, very slick with the ball. Um, he is, um, extremely, extremely effective going to the basket. Um, he has the, he has some incredibly long legs that that first step that he has, while it may not be like De'Aaron Fox type fast, it is supremely effective. And it was very clear. We watched them play two games. Um, in the first game, they played a team out of Atlanta called Team Dickerson. And it was very clear he was just the best player on the court during that game. There was nobody on that team that could stop him. Anytime he wanted to get to the basket, he could. And um, and I one of the things that I will I will say that surprised me is the kid is dunking harder right now than I've any highlight package that I've seen of him. You know, he's he's still young. He's he's a you know he's got a slight frame so there's not a whole lot of you know he doesn't have the tree trunk legs that get you up into the you know that head at the rim kind of deal and so i've seen other highlight packages where i've seen him get up at the rim and and it's it's he he can dunk easily but it's not powerful he was dunking hard he was dunking hard in the in that first game especially he and in the second game he had a putback dunk that was just insanity like he caught the ball off of a rebound behind his back, you know, his arm at a 45 degree angle to the ground, caught it in the air and went boom and dunked it. So um, in terms of his, you know, athletic prowess and his ability, he's, he's a, um, he's a, he's a very good, he's very good and has a lot of room to grow. Um, I, I don't know how much there's more I, I could say about the second game in particular. He played against a guy that, um, is top five for a reason and Jabari Smith um, and had a rough game against him. But um, he's he is an extremely talented kid that I honestly believe his game and where he's at right now, if he can get to Memphis, start working with Coach Darby, get in the into the you know weight room, into a, a college workout plan, a college eating system, you know, eating plan. Um, and starts to gain some weight and muscle and power. Um, the college game is more suited for Josh Minot than AAU in high school right now. He is going to be a great player for the Tigers. So is a full full size court, and that's something that I wanted to talk about. Something that uh, I found out during the event is that the the court wasn't actually regulation. So it was scrunched. It was too courts that were turned into two courts from a full court. Uh, the event organizer and I were talking and he said, it's actually about four feet too short uh, end to end and about six feet uh, shorter width wise. 
That's a lot. And I don't know, Kenny, if you noticed, but they were not calling backcourt. I mean, players were constantly stepping over the midline and they would never call it because it wasn't a full regulation court. Uh, So I say that because let me just walk you through this. And yes, I mean, CP25 has beat some really good teams. They run really good stuff. Coach Gray, you can tell that uh, he coaches those kids up really well. They, uh, you know, they run transition very well. They space well. Uh, their offense, backdoor cuts, a lot of ball movement. It's really good when they run it. You know, their their roster overall, top to bottom, is is lacking. Um, I mean, I'll just put it that that's the nice way of putting it. Josh Minot is by far the most talented talented player on Coach Gray's team. They have a, a few nice players. They have Micah Octave, who is probably a you know low mid major, mid major kind of player. And then they've got a kid named Donovan Draper, who's like a six six shooting guard, but he's more than likely going to end up being a D one football recruit. So, other than that they don't have a high-level guy. So all of that to say, in that second game against the Atlanta Celtics, when you've got two top 25 guys, one of one of which is you know Jabari Smith, number five overall in 2021, then you've got a, a point guard that's a Division I, mid-major plus level kid in Miles Rice, probably could even be a, like a low, high-major fringe kind of kid they're good. They're really, really good. They've got young players that are really good. And basically what the Celtics were able to do is they they focused all of their energy on Josh Minot. They pressured him like crazy. They put Jabari Smith on him. His length, physicality, toughness, it gave Josh fits because what happened was the Celtics took away every bit of spacing with CP25. The court is already shorter. They don't have enough space. And then you take away the spacing by, you know, by taking away their offense. And you you sag two to three guys towards Josh the entire time. They've got Jabari on him. And then they they sag Matthew Cleveland towards him. They sag Miles towards him. They sag other, other defenders. And he does not have that space that he needs to create his type of offense, his, like you said, his first step is elite, not because it's fast, but because it's so long. Josh Minot, when you see him in person, he's stupid long. Like his arms are long, his legs are long, and his stride is right there with it. So he creates space using his length. And when you need space for that, and it gets taken away, you pretty much are limited in what you can do. But he started fast in that second game, and you could tell Jabari Smith, just a light bulb came on, and he said, you know what, I'm going to show this man what's up. I'm going to show him the difference between a top five player and a top 50 player. Uh, And that's what he did, man. Jabari Smith is the real deal. Uh, He is – you know, he is playing at the highest level that I've seen him, and I loved him last summer. Um, but in that first game, Josh flashed every bit of potential that Memphis sees in him. He's got mid-range game. He can step out to 24, 25 feet, and his jumper is 
you know, his, his jumper's nice. His form's a little um, unique. He, he brings the ball across his face and shoots, but hey, it works. It goes in. It's pretty. Uh, he gets to the rim stupidly easy. I mean, he is by guys, and he can pretty much like take one dribble from outside the free throw line, I mean, outside the three-point line, and get to the rim with two steps because he's that long. Um, so, I mean, I, I saw nothing to convince me otherwise from my last kind of projection of where I feel Josh should land, and that's somewhere between like 40 and 55, 60. Um, I know I've heard potentially to the level of like top 25, type top 30. I do think that if he's that level player, it's going to require me seeing him with more talent around him and a more fair fight because that Celtics game, he was just outmatched. Well, the thing about, you know, the thing about the Jabari Smith, um, Josh Minot matchup is, and this is the reason a few minutes ago when I said that it, that the, he's better suited for the college game than he is for high school and AAU because at even in high school and AAU, especially for the CP 25 team, He's the tallest, biggest guy on the court. And so he is automatically going to have to guard the tallest, biggest guy on the opposing team. And in the Atlanta Celtics game, it was Jabari Smith. And Jabari plays a totally different kind of game than Josh Minot. Um, Jabari is a force in the paint. That's not Josh's game. And so Josh was having to, on defense, guard a force, a top five player in the class that is a monster in the paint. There were things that that Jabari was doing in the paint that are like, you don't see many college level big men. It's like NBA tricks in the paint that NBA level you don't stuff. see many college big men doing. And so it was an unfair fight in that, Josh was having to guard a guy that when he gets to college, he will never have to guard because that's not his skill set. That's not his game. You, you put a, a three, a two, three, or a point guard on, uh, on Josh in college, Josh will eat them alive and Josh can hang with those dudes on the court on the perimeter. But if he has to get in the paint and start banging with dudes like Jabari Smith, it is going to be a rough go for him because that's just not his game. He's never done that before. And and again, it's like you said, Brooks, there is a there are levels to this thing. And and Jabari is at a different level in terms of in terms of what he does on the court and how he utilizes his his skill set and utilizes the body that he has, man. He is a monster in that paint. So so let me just let me just wrap this up by saying all of the positives that we've said about Jabari Smith, they do not take away from what we saw as from Josh Minot as a player. Uh, re- really, really still like the pickup. And I last thing before we wrap it up, um, we got a chance to hang out with Josh's family um, this past weekend too. They were there, and. Um, we got a chance to meet his uncle, his cousin, um, his mother, um, and a bunch of other, I guess, f- not family members, but they're close like family. Yeah, it's basically like a brotherhood with those people. It's a brotherhood. It's a crazy dynamic with that CP25 team. And um, 
and they are some amazing people. I getting getting the chance to sit down and and we're working on a locker room episode with Josh right now. Um, and we interviewed his mom for it. And I'm telling you, Memphis, Memphis fans, you're going to fall. Y'all are going to fall in love with the Minot family. They're just really cool people. Their story is amazing. Um, Miss Judy is an awesome person. And so, um, he is going to be a massive, him and his family are going to be a massive benefit just to the program as a whole for the university of Memphis. Well, I think that about does it. Do we have anything else to cover guys? I said, we're going to get into Memphis, Arkansas state preview, but with the game being a week and a half, we'll save that for next week's episode, right? Right. Uh, leading up to the game. So we'll save that for next week. Well, y'all stay tuned. We'll cover Arkansas State. We obviously on the brink of news about the coaching search. So y'all know what to do there. Y'all stay tuned into GoTigers247.com. Obviously, you guys know what's up. Um, so, Christian, you got anything else? I'm good. Kenny? I'm good. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 